Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Head with Mike Tom. Today's guest grew up in a Muslim family in Iran and immigrated to the U.S. as a teenager, only to find herself in an arranged marriage that her father had set up as part of a business deal. That business deal drove her family apart, and she was alone in a new country in an abusive marriage. Somehow, through all of this, she became a Christian, and now her life is restored. Today on Connections, she's going to share her incredible story of hope and restoration. She'll also help us to understand firsthand the issues that women are facing in Iran. We'll hear that and so much more today on Connections. Today's guest has an incredible story of hope and restoration. We're joined by Lily Meshi. She's the development manager of Iran Alive. Now, you have a very interesting story, starting from your childhood. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in a Muslim family in Iran and then immigrated to the U.S. Tell us about how that all happened. Of course. Um, so as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Iran. And um, when I was 16, um, my parents, um, in, in um, pursuit of getting away from their bankrupt business in Iran, um, and had us move to Germany, where my mom's side of the family lived at the time. And um, when... Uh, my sisters and I moved to Germany. It was an absolute culture shock. Um, you know, at age 16, as a teenager, we, we all, um, you know, already have a set of insecurities um, um, of, on, um, of our own and let alone, you know, being thrown in a whole different country uh, with a different lifestyle, different language uh, that we had to learn and trying to really fit in in that German crowd. Um, it, it really was difficult um, on me and also I know on my younger sister as well. And so as a result of that, um, I dealt with um, inferiority, inferiority complex. It, I always felt um, as, you know, second class citizen uh, that, you know, the foreigner kid who speaks with um, very heavy accent, you know, in schools and things like that. But um, so it was it was difficult. And then um, not having my mom and dad around, um, for the most part, um, my two sisters and I were kind of left on our own um, in Germany because my mom was still dealing with um, some of the residue of the bankruptcy um, of their business in Iran. My dad um, had already moved to the U.S. Um, where he was, you know, starting a new business venture um, here in Austin, Texas with, with his brother. And um, so it was, it was difficult having to adopt um, um, there. And then after, after we kind of learned how to roll with the punches and really um, uh, adopt to the whole new country um, in about a couple of years, um, my dad reached out to all of us and said, Hey, I'm starting this business here. It's going to be um, requiring all my family to be here to support and help. And I also want to reunite my family. Um, so I want you guys to move to the U.S. We're, here we were, we're like, oh no, not again. <laughs> I don't want to move again. We just got adopted. We made friends. We kind of, um, we, we had just, you know, gotten used to um, living in Germany and the lifestyle and all that. And so we did that um, for his request. We um, moved to the U.S. one by one, got the, the appropriate visas. And I was the first one um, 
uh, moving to, to the U.S. Now, six months prior to moving to the U.S., um, as I was talking to my dad one, one night, he introduced me to um, kind of his business partner who was helping him with, uh, with his new business, um, you know, he, um, in Austin, Texas. And he introduced me to this guy who was like 12 years older than me, and I was 18 at, it, at the time. And he's, he, in my dad's mind, like he had no wrong intentions in my dad's mind. He, he want, he thought that he was doing me a favor to introduce me to a semi-successful guy in Austin, Texas, who had gotten his life together and all that. Um, but then, you know, again, at age 18, when your dad introduces you to a guy, um, and I always, I, my dad was my hero growing up, and I always looked up to him for advice and everything. And when he put his stamp of approval on this guy, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get to know him. I need to know who he is. I don't care if he's 12 years older than me. So anyways, I started talking to him um, on the phone about six months prior to um, my move to, to, to the U.S. And so the moment I arrived in Austin, Texas, um, it was as if a marriage was already promised to him. Like he, wow, yeah, it was like, I was, I, I felt myself thrown into this, you know, trap that I could not get out of. Um, so, I mean, the moment I, it, it just, everything just turned upside down. Like when we met, like he, he was like, you know, we, we need to get married tomorrow. I mean, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm 18. Um, I don't want to get married, but, but then again, he also had his own set of issues, insecurities, jealousy, and um, a lot of, a lot of things that um, was a struggle for me to deal with after having gotten married three months after I, I arrived in Austin, Texas. But um, so it wasn't, it was a very, very unsuccessful marriage. Um, We were just struggling from the get-go. And so uh, three months into our marriage, my my dad, my uncle, and my husband at the time got into this huge business um, disagreement. And so they they started suing and countersuing each other and all that. Here I was like caught between my family and my husband at the time. I'm like, you guys introduced this guy to me. <laughs> now you're suing him. And so I was, it was just tough on me. It was so tough. And I couldn't even, I was banned from visiting my, my parents because of lawyer's advice. Um, they had asked me not to go to my parents' house and not to talk to them, not to do anything. It was just, it was a, a perfect storm. Um, that's for the lack of a better term. It was just bad. And so one day, as I was like really at the lowest point of my my life, my my mom reached out to me. She said, "Lily, I missed you. I want to see you." Um, and we have some of our friends visiting us from Oklahoma who would love to meet you. Um, and I, um, I at first I was hesitant. I was like, "Mom." That would be against the lawyer's advice. I can't really come near to your near uh, the vicinity of where you guys are, um, let alone come visit you. And and um, the, she said she just broke down. So I was like, you know what, mom, I come over. So I went over to their house, and 
for the first time ever. Now, this I was so depressed at this point, and I, I was so numb to everything around me that I, I couldn't even feel anything at that point. Um, I, I was just, you know, going through the motions, just walking dead. Like it, it was so bad. And so as soon as I walked into my parents' house, um, I was hit by this um, extreme, like a wave of joy. It was just something that I had never experienced in my life before. Like, what is going on here? Like, who, who, what, what has happened for the, for the, you know, for the time that I have not been at my, my parents' house. So I walked in, I noticed everyone was watching a movie. And of course the movie was about Jesus. I was, um, uh, towards the end of the movie, it was from when Jesus was arrested um, at the garden of Gethsemane and they were, you know, dragging him to be crucified. And so I, I sat there and watched it. And, um, when I got up to leave, and I, of course, I revisited with their friends, and they were just so loving and um, so gracious, and I just felt a different kind of love uh, among them. Um, and so I got up to leave. One of, one of the girls that was there, she said, Lily, do you mind if we um, read a couple of verses from the Bible? And I'm at this point, I'm like, oh, just leave me alone. I Laughing at one is another thing that would just, you know, come my way. I was like, um, you know, I was, again, I was reluctant, but at the same time, I wanted to be courteous and respectful. I was like, sure, no problem. I can wait another 10 minutes or so. So we sat there right by the door. She opened up the Bible to John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When she finished reading those two verses, I kid you not, like something changed in me. And I, all I could do and say, first of all, like tears are rolling down on my cheeks. I don't know why I'm crying at this point. And without even knowing what I was saying, like at this point, I want you to know, I grew up in, as I mentioned, grew up in a Muslim family. I, I had no idea who Jesus was other than he was also, he was one of the greatest prophets who had performed miracles while um, he was on earth. And I had no idea who he was. Um, and so at this point, after she read the last verse, John 1, 14, I looked at her in the eyes and I said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Like I, I, like now I know the only, the only force that could get me to say that was the Holy Spirit. Like, Wow. It was such rhema in, in me, like the revelation that I had received at the moment that she read the word of God to me. Um, it was just unreal. It was so surreal that I had no explanation, but I, there was this knowing that I knew that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. I knew Jesus was the one who could get me out of the darkness that I was in. So um, that was it. I mean, um, that that was the beginning of my journey. This was like back in 2001. And um, short after, I first of all, I thought that I was the only Iranian who, hmm. um, I mean, aside from the ones that actually witnessed to me, I thought I would be the only um, Iranian who would believe that a human um, is 
has the deity of God, a human has, has turned into, um, or a human believed that Jesus was God. I, I, yeah. I thought us Iranians are so logical that if, if the two and two d- doesn't come together, we can't really understand it. Most of us are very logical. And I was like, there's very few people that would understand what I'm saying. Like this would be so difficult for me to explain that my faith has changed and Jesus is, is God. And so I kind of felt isolated for a while. And of course I was still dealing with my marital issues and the lawsuit and all that kind of stuff. But one day um, right after my mom and dad had a satellite TV at, at their house and um, because they still wanted to get con- be stay connected with what was going on in Iran and all that. And so um, we were flipping through the channels. Um, this was like maybe three months after I came to faith. And also the blessing of it is my parents also came to faith at the same time I did, maybe like two weeks after. And it, it was so good because like we all kind of grew up in our faith walk together. And it was just, it was a transformation that was happening among our family. That's so, interesting. I was expecting maybe your family to be really upset with you for choosing to follow Jesus. No, because the same family that came to witness to us, um, they also witnessed to my, my parents, they witnessed to my younger sister and also myself. And so it, it within, I, um, I think it was within like two weeks from one another, we all came to faith and we all have a whole different stories of our, um, um, on our own. Like, my sister had the revelation totally different than what, how I received. My, my parents had vision and dreams. And it, it was just, it was all different and unique, but we all came to faith all at the same time, around the same time. And that, this was a huge blessing for me because then, I, again, I didn't have to deal with the rejection from the family and all that kind of stuff. And so anyways, um, when... Um, when we were flipping through the channels one day um, when I was at my parents' house again. And so we came across um, Iran Alive Ministries ministry and Dr. Shariad, who's the founder of Iran Alive Ministries was, um, you know, talking about the word of God. He was teaching the fundamentals of the word of God in Farsi. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, there are people that are actually Christians and, and they're Iranian. So this was a this was amazing, and the way he articulated the gospel in ways that we could understand in Farsi, it was just mind blowing. We were like, we need to get connected with with these people, and they had just launched their ministry in California uh, in two thousand one. It was the launch of of their ministry, and so um, we reached out to them. We became friends, and so. Ever since we had stayed friends, um, you know, supporting the ministry and all that. And um, when he moved his ministry to Dallas, I started volunteering um, more and more um, at the ministry and still stay connected. And um, it was um, I, now I'm really blessed to really minister, um, really be, be in the ministry and serving him and also serving Iranians through the broadcast that we have at Iran Alive Ministries um, here in Dallas, Texas. In, in your ministry, like you said, you thought you were the only Iranian to come to Jesus, right? What is the reality uh, specifically for Iranian women, though, coming to Jesus? What's that like now? 
you know, um, so being in Iran, um, first of all, the dynamic of Iranian women, like, I don't know if you know the statistics on this, but Iranian women are so oppressed. And unfortunately, because um, oppression has become the, the, the way of life in Iran, they don't even know they're oppressed. Um, they they just live in that, and they don't even know. For instance, like um, uh, the inequality that they that they they're faced with, the gender inequality, the wages inequality in in the workforce. You know, their uh, witness or their testimony is counted half of a man's testimony in courts, and you know they can't even go to a sports. Stadium. They're banned from attending a sports stadium. They can't leave the country without their husband's permission. They have very restricted and limited rights in um, in marriage and you know in divorce and things like that. It's just um, as a result of that. I mean, they're suffering from financial lack, and so a lot of them depend on men for uh, for financial means, and so. Um, there, the, the oppression is so so enormous, like it's severe in Iran. And um, honestly, when they hear um, the word of God um, and they find their identity in Christ, knowing that they're loved by, you know, by the, the, the authority over all authorities, by the God of this universe, they get so jazzed up and passionate and motivated about the gospel. Um, but I mean, the, right now, the um, I was mentioning the statistics like the the suicide rate in among Iranians, I, Iranian women is the highest in the world. Wow. If you actually study it, because I mean, they feel trapped. They feel um, oppressed. They feel unheard and um, they just don't know what to do. I mean, it's it's. It's um, unreal. So this is why the gospel is necessary for us to get to um, get to Iran and Iranians, especially women, to hear it and receive it. And so a lot of the underground churches that we have in Iran, women are more effective and more on fire um, than men are in Iran. And so um so this is why it's so urgent for what we do. And we feel this sense of urgency that we need to get the gospel to Iran through our broadcasts. As you know, Iran is a closed country. And so um, no missionary can, can um, you know, um, step foot um, in Iran and be able to have the audience that we have right now. Um, you know, the um, an independent survey um basically let us know that we have about an, an estimated 6 million daily viewer of our broadcasts. And our network has been known as number one most watched um, Christian, uh, Christian channel. And so um, that's why, we, again, we feel as though we need to get the message of gospel to Iran and especially Iranian women to receive it. Since your involvement with Iran Alive, what have you experienced? What have you seen come out of this? So again, again, as um, we have been connected, so we, when we receive um, reports of salvations and things like that, uh, we have a 
training school, it's a virtual training school that is a discipleship school. Because when, when Iranians come to faith, whether men or, or um, whether they're men or a woman, they all need to be discipled because just like I was, I just knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus was the Lord, but I had no idea the fundamentals of Christianity. I had no, I had to learn it. And in Iran, not having been able to even have access to, you know, copies of a Bible that's, you know, Bibles are prohibited. Nobody can have a Bible in Iran. And so um, it's so essential for them to get connected to our virtual training school and, and so we disciple them and we um, take them through the fundamentals to know their identity, to know their gifts and spiritual gifts and calling and really mobilizing them to for the work of the ministry. And so um, what we see is the number of um, women that pursue the education, pursue the fundamentals of Christianity, Christianity uh, through the school is actually higher than than men and they they go through the whole program the curriculum and all that and they become more more effective in in our underground churches in iran now uh speaking of the political situation our new president was just elected and is taking office uh what does that mean for christians in iran and what was that election like so what we know of Raisi, the, the new president, first of all, he wasn't elected. He was um, he was appointed by the supreme leader of Iran, mm. which was a downer for for Iranians. And so because of his background, um, he is known as they call him the murderer, the butcher of Iran. And so it's really to exude fear, uh, extreme amount of fear and isolation on Iranians to not, um, you know, to to not really march um, out in the streets, you know, against the political, um, you know, government, and also again, you know, Christians for sure are going to be more severely persecuted under under his um, leadership there in Iran. But it's not the impact of it um, is not going to look great. Um, he is he is one that basically has shown to Iranian that he has zero tolerance for, um, you know, riots and, you know, going, um, you know, against his, his um, directions and things like that. He, he, he had said it multiple times and, and massacre happens if, if people go against, um, um, against his, his directions that he's, he's placing in Iran. And so the impact of it on, on Christians, Iranian Christians is going to be ugly, is going to not look good. Can we pray here in the West for those in Iran? I would, um, I would ask that, you know, we all just join in prayers uh, for the darkness and uh, despair. There's this um, spirit of darkness in Iran and um, the oppression um, is just, so severe that that um, we hear it all the time from from our viewers. I pray, um, I I pray, and I I um, charge everyone here in the West to really join in prayer to for that spirit to be lifted, and for Iranians' hearts to be open um, and recipient to, and and receiving to the word of God to the gospel messages that we're trying to get to Iran.
for those who want to get involved, who want to help out, who want to know more about Iran Alive, how can they go about doing that? Absolutely. Um, if, if they want to know more about Iran Alive Ministries, testimonies, updates, um, you can um, text the word Iran, I-R-A-N, to the number 50700. And um, we basically, they can sign up for monthly newsletters through that and they can um, hear, you know, more updates and stories about what is happening inside Iran and the impact of the ministry. Um, that would be the best way to connect. Also, our website is um, www.iranaliveministries.org. That would be the best way to connect with us. Thank you so much for joining with us and sharing your story. And we look forward to connecting again with you. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much, Colleen and Mike. I appreciate you. It was such an honor to be on your show today. And thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.